0: Thank you, everybody, for being with us today. There's so much going on, so much excitement, opportunities abound. Uh, There's some things that I could say about this, but again, we're on a very, very tight schedule. So let me just summarize it this way. We live in a nation that is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but where there is a lot of opportunities and rights and privileges, and that is we get the chance to vote. In a lot of countries, you don't get that chance. You get a dictator. That's what you get. We get the chance, and I think especially among Christians, we ought to exercise that right and privilege, and so I just want to encourage you and remind you to get out and vote on Tuesday. I think that would be a great, great thing. Well, our speaker this morning in this first weekend of two weekends of our missions conference is is an amazing, amazing missionary. I was thinking about it while Josh was speaking in the 930 service that it would be, you know, a lot of people could, you know, validate this, could, you know, just say, well, that sounds like a reasonable thing to do. And in this regard, I'll speak to that. Uh, Josh and his wife, Kimberly, and have two precious little girls, Hannah and Rebecca, Based on the dangerous part of the world that they live in, it'd be very easy, and you could justify saying, well, let's wait till the girls grow up. Let's wait till they get older. Why in the world would I take my wife and two kids to this part of the world that is so wrought with danger, and yet it's what they're called to do? And in fact, if you were to keep Josh and Kimberly and their family away from their God-given assignment, they would be utterly miserable. So they go in his name, and in his power, and in his in His authority, and God is using them. Well, Josh and Kimberly, and there's a lot of details I could give you about them, but let me just take a moment and just tell you a little bit of their backstory. Uh, they really came to know Christ personally, started passionately following Jesus while they were at Sam Houston uh, State University as students, uh, heavily influenced through the ministry of Chi Alpha. Some of you are familiar with that. We support, by the way, a lot of Chi Alpha directors through our missions budget. And they would later join the staff of Kaiapha. God would call them to missions, and they would go and serve an initiative that is doing amazing things for God and a sacrifice and a commitment, unlike you can't believe. And that is in the Live Dead Project or the Live Dead Initiative. Their responsibilities have take them, taken them to Cairo, Egypt. That is their home, that is where they live. That is where they will return to uh, very shortly as team leaders and very strategic responsibilities. And God is using this family in an amazing way. And I want you to put your hands together and I want you to give a huge welcome to Josh Hugendorf as he comes to speak today. Hugendorf, Sorry, Josh.
1: Thank you, Pastor. So good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, My... Better half of my family or better part of my family is not with me. My wife, Kimberly, and my two precious daughters. And uh, if you could throw that first slide up there and give you a good look at them. We've got two little girls, Hannah Grace, who will be four on January 1st. She's a New Year's baby. And then we've got Rebecca Joy, who's one and a half. And she was born in Cairo, Egypt. Uh, So she's a little Egyptian baby. And then uh, both of them, it's hard to believe, but they've spent their entire lives... Uh, for the most part in Egypt and so they're more Egyptian and they are American and we're from Texas uh, so they're more Egyptian than they are Texan uh, but while we're back we're you know one of the great things about Texas is we have Tex-Mex so we're trying to stuff as much Tex-Mex in them hoping that uh, that will kind of push the needle back to being a little more American a little more Texan while we're back in the States. Uh, But as Pastor said, we are living in Cairo, Egypt. You know, one thing I forgot to mention this morning, uh, early in the early service, if you want to receive our newsletters, you can text Egypt to this number. So if you'd like to receive our updates, go ahead and do that. Uh, But we do serve in Cairo, Egypt. And uh, although we love and love our family, we love uh, the great United States of America, we love Texas, and we love being around all of the things that are comfortable and feel like home, uh, Egypt has become our home. Uh, There's a missionary named Samuel Zwemer, and he says this, Missionaries have inverted homesickness, a desire to call that place home, which is most in need of the gospel. And so that's our heart's desire, to go to the place that needs the gospel the most and make that our home. And that's what we've done uh, in Egypt. Um, We serve with the Live Dead Church Planting Initiative. Uh, This kind of came about because... As an organization, the Assemblies of God World Missions looked around the world and realized there are a lot of places, a lot, a lot of places that don't have the gospel. Usually these places are hostile to the gospel and that's the reason why they don't have it. And so we said, you know what, this isn't a good, that's not a good reason or a good excuse for not going there. We need to find a way to preach the gospel to the whole earth and especially those places that don't have it. And so strategically and organizationally, we looked for different ways to get into these places. And so the, the Live Dead entity that we serve under is for the Arab world. This is all the Arabic-speaking countries in the world. It basically means that they are all of, uh, they're all Islamic countries as well. So there's about 16 Arabic-speaking countries. And we serve as the directors for uh, the Live Dead Training Center in Cairo. So most of the missionaries going to that part of the world will come through Cairo first learn the language, learn the culture, learn how to share uh, their faith uh, with Muslims, and then also how to plant the church and what that looks like over there. And so Cairo is home. Now, Egypt is really significant if, we talk, if we're talking about, number one, just geopolitics in the Middle East, but also, we believe, more importantly, uh, spiritually speaking. Number one, it has 90 million people. This is the largest Arabic-speaking Country in the world, and also uh, the largest country in the Middle East. It actually has one third of the population of all of the Arabic-speaking countries together. And then beyond that, Cairo itself has 25 million people. 25 million people. Now, for me to put that in perspective, that's the population of Texas. For you guys, I looked it up, Florida is around 20 million. So Cairo has 5 million more people in that one city than in the entire state of Florida. Isn't that pretty incredible? And so we live there in this huge, huge city uh, where we believe the Lord wants to move mightily. Now, beyond that, Egypt has a spiritual significance. uh, One, in the eyes of Islam in the fact that it has the leading Islamic theological school there, Al-Azhar University. And get this, they send out 200 Islamic missionaries every single year. Did you know that they do that? They send out Muslim missionaries just like we send out Christian missionaries. And then beyond that, it also is spiritually significant in the fact that all of the extremist Islam sects, so ISIS, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, all of these guys will trace their roots all the way back to Egypt and the founding of the Muslim Brotherhood. So it's really significant in the eyes of Islam. Now, it has another significance, one that I prefer, uh, and that is it has a, a part in the story of God's redemption plan. You see, in Genesis, starting there, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, excuse me, Jacob, they all spent time uh, in Egypt. And then, if you go forward, Joseph, of course, the 12 patriarchs. Moses was raised as an Egyptian. You know his story. And then Joshua and Caleb. And if you keep going, Jeremiah spent time there. And there's a very famous prophecy in the book of Isaiah where God is prophesying through the mouth of Isaiah saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people. So God calls Egyptians his people. And then if you go into the New Testament, uh, in the very beginning of the New Testament, at the the, uh, nativity story, the story of Jesus' birth, it talks about the only country that Jesus visited other than Israel, which was, can you guess it? Egypt, right. So when he was fleeing from King Herod, his parents took him to Egypt and they were refugees. Uh, and then if you fast forward into the book of Acts, when Peter got up to preach his first sermon filled with the Holy Spirit after Pentecost, it named specific nationalities and ethnicities that were present to hear him speak. Guess who were there? Egyptians. It says Egyptians were present at the day of Pentecost. Last piece of church history I'll give you. In 40 AD, the disciple Mark went to Alexandria, Egypt, which is the second largest city in the Arab world next to Cairo. And he looked around, he saw all the temples and tombs that were left over from the pharaohs. You guys know the pyramids, right? So I can see the pyramids from my balcony on a nice clear day. That's how close we live to them. But these are just tombs that the pharaohs left, and they filled them with money and gold and goods and all sorts of things to help them to get into the afterlife. So... Mark looks around, he sees all of this and he says, man, Egyptians really care about eternity and, uh, but they only believe rich people can get into eternity. So what he did was he began to preach Jesus Christ crucified, raised from the dead and that his blood purchased our passage into eternity. And so now the church was planted there 40 AD. There has been a Christian presence in Egypt for 2000 years. Did you know that 2000 years of Christianity in Egypt? And, uh, It has the largest population of Christians in the Middle East, around 10 million. And their faith is closely, the most closely related to Eastern Orthodoxy. Now, when we tell them, listen, don't don't you know, you got to share your faith with your Muslim neighbor or they're going to go to hell. The problem is, is that they've been persecuted so long that they will say something like this. Well, that's a good place for them. And so we're there trying to plant the church amongst Muslims. We're seeing fruit. We're seeing house churches formed. We're seeing people baptized. I'm going to share some of that. And we're also reaching out to our Christian brothers and sisters and saying, please come help us. Please understand the heart of God. Please come and share your faith with these Muslims because guess what? You speak Arabic and you'll speak Arabic better than I ever will. And you understand the culture. So that is our goal, that is our mission. And we call Egypt the sleeping giant because if the Lord were to breathe his spirit on Egypt, it could change the entire face of the Middle East like that. And so that's what we're there doing. Now, pastor mentioned that I kind of came out of Chi Alpha and uh, we're so grateful for that background. The Lord used Chi Alpha to steer us in the right direction on a secular university. And that kind of propelled us into missions. And one of the things that, that, that really propelled us was our Chi Alpha director's love for reading missionaries and men and women and heroes of the faith that have gone before us. And so you guys support uh, the Salvation Army. One of my favorite people to read about are literally, uh, is the founders of the Salvation Army, William and Catherine Booth, uh, the, who got radically saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they sought to start a, a organization that would reach kind of what they called the undesirables, the people that the churches at their time wouldn't even let in, and they had this saying. They said, "Blood and fire." That was one of their first slogans, meaning the blood of Jesus and the fire of the Holy Spirit. I love to read about them. One of my wife's favorite is Elizabeth Elliot. Now, if you don't know the Elliot story, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. There's a book and a movie called The End of the Spear. Uh, that is about their lives. They were in Ecuador trying to reach a very remote uh, Indian tribe that was in the remote parts of the jungle. And these people were unreached with the gospel. uh, And they were trying to reach them with the gospel. They were also known to be very violent. And uh, one of the encounters, one of the first encounters that they had with the Indians, Jim and several of the other men from the missionary team were martyred by these Indians. Now, Elizabeth and the rest of the ladies on the team could have left. They could have come back to, the, to America with their children. Nobody would have blamed them, right? But they stayed and they preached the gospel and worked among the very people that martyred their husbands. And because of that, those people walk with Jesus today. You see, we've got some heroes that have gone before us. We've got some incredible people that when we read about, we're, we're challenged by, encouraged by, and who have gone before us. Now, they have run an incredible race, right? You've all heard this before. In Christianity, sometimes we're referred to running a race. Now, there are people who've gone before us. When you begin to walk or begin to uh, enter into this race alongside Jesus, you're not starting something afresh. Uh, you're actually entering, entering into a race that has been run. Uh, for a very, very long time. And I actually like to refer to it as a relay race because there are people who've gone before us and when they finish their life, guess what? They're not looking behind them and looking at all the accomplishments that they've done for the kingdom of God. They're actually looking ahead of themselves and they're wondering, they're thinking, who is going to take the baton from us? Who's going to reach out and carry the torch further? Will they fall back and lose the ground that we've gained for the kingdom of God? Or will somebody come and pick up this baton? The Bible calls them a great cloud of witnesses in the book of Hebrews. Now here's the the deal. The baton is actually being passed to us. Here today as we sit in this room, there are men and women who've gone before us. Some of the ones you've seen on the screen who are still going And they're looking at you, they're looking at us today, and they're wondering if you will take up the baton. Will you take it up, or will you let it drop? Now, I have a very important question for you today. And this is an important question for all of us. What is the goal of the race? What is the end of the race? Now, I don't like running, okay? I don't like running. I don't like to be in races. Uh, That's not really my thing. Maybe that's your thing. But what would be even more miserable is if I entered into a race that didn't have a finish line. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever run a race that somebody just said, you know what? I don't really know how long we're going to run. We're just going to go and we'll see what happens. I would never sign up for that, especially wouldn't pay money to be in a race like that. So what is the goal? What is the finish line of the Christian faith? I think it's actually very simple. Sometimes we miss it. But these are the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness in every nation, and then the end will come. So the end of our race, the goal of the Christian life, is to preach the gospel in every single nation. Now I want to propose a strange idea to you this morning. It's it's really strange, okay? Listen to me. What if we could be the ones that finish that race? What if we could start something here today with this missions week and this missions emphasis that could bring an end to, to, to our race, that we could cross the finish line? What I'm saying is... What if we could cross the finish line and, and at the end of our lives and not hand the baton off to somebody else? Not hand the baton off to our children or our children's children or another class of, of missionaries. But what instead if, if we could cross the finish line and actually hand the baton to Jesus? What a gift. What if we could lay that at the feet of our Savior who's done so much for us? What an honor it would be if we could be the generation, if we could be the people who finally come to Jesus and say, we've evangelized the entire earth. Everyone has had a chance to hear the gospel. What if we could start something like that today? Now, listen to me. If if you're listening very closely It's kind of strange because what I'm saying is, let's end the world, right? Now, usually this is the James Bond villain that's saying something like this. Let's steal the nuclear weapon. Let's blow up the world. Let's end the world. And that's usually a bad thing, right? But what I'm saying is that ending the world for us is a good thing and that we should do it. I know that sounds strange. It's only a little strange and only a little scary when you don't know what the end looks like. But we know what the end looks like, right? If you have your Bibles, I don't have this on the, on the screen, but Revelations chapter 22 says this, starting in verse 1, it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." For the healing of the nations. You see, what if we could do something that could end every single war? The healing of the nations. What if we could end disease and sickness and poverty and social injustice? You see, the healing of the nations. Now, there are a lot of people who are trying to accomplish this, admittedly, right? You've got lawyers who are trying to combat social injustices. You've got doctors who are trying to find cures for diseases. You've got politicians and militaries and the governments all trying to bring peace. But if you don't hear anything else this morning, listen to me. There has only ever been one person who is able to accomplish all those things. And his name is Jesus Right? He is the great healer. He is the prince of peace. He is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world and that takes away the sin of the world. Now you might be tracking with me and saying, yes, I want to end every single war. I want to end every single disease and social injustice. All right, let's find a list of those people who don't know the gospel and go and tell them, right? It can't be, there can't be that many left. Listen to me. 2,000 years of Christianity. We've got the internet, we've got radio, we've got television. We've got all of these tools at our disposable, disposal. And yet, there's still 3 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. 3 billion people who, as we sit here and have this meeting today, talking about Jesus, singing songs of Jesus, as we're, as we're praying in the name of Jesus, there's still 3 billion people who haven't even heard His name once And I know that's hard to believe. I know that seems almost impossible, but trust me, I've been there and these people exist and it's almost 40% of the world. I heard a, a preacher one time speaking and, and he was saying something like this, that he imagined as Jesus said at the right hand of the father, that he was saying something like this to the father, like, I'm ready to go get my bride, right? I'm ready for the second coming, the returning of myself to the earth to collect my church. It kind of broke my heart because I sat there and I thought about the sayings of Jesus, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. And as I studied the character of God, if Jesus was saying anything, this is what I would imagine he'd be saying to the Father. Don't send me yet. Don't send me yet because there's still three billion people who've never heard of my name. They don't know what I did on the cross. They don't know how my sin, my blood atones for their sin. There's still so many people. I think he would be saying something like this. Father, wait a little bit longer. Wait just a little bit longer because if you wait a little bit longer, I think my church will get it. I think my bride will get it. And they'll go to those places that don't know... Know who I am. And they'll share the gospel. They'll go to the places that are scary. The places that are hostile. And they'll bring my name and the story of what I did for them. And so I think Jesus is waiting. I think he's actually waiting for us. What keeps us from going? What keeps us from being disciples of Christ? Real, devoted, radical, sold out believers of Jesus. How do we get there? I think Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. He says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now that is a tough verse, isn't it? That's one of the most difficult verses in the Bible for us to understand. Admittedly, I never really understood this verse until I went to Egypt. And there was a man named Rami who was attending one of our house church uh, meetings that our team hosted. And he began to tell us the story of how he came to faith. You see, he wasn't always a believer in Christ. He actually was a Muslim, was born a Muslim, and grew up a Muslim. And he was actually very devoted in his faith to Islam. At one point in his life, he was living in Saudi Arabia. And he said that he was so devoted to Islam that if ISIS had existed then... He would have gone and joined them. That's how radical he was in his faith. But after praying five times a day all of his life and doing fasting the month of Ramadan, one month out of the year, sun up to sundown, where this should have brought satisfaction, he felt a dissatisfaction. And so he began to look for something else. And guess what he found? He found a Bible. And he began to read the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you've never read the Sermon on the Mount, it's beautiful. It's Jesus preaching, and it's all the blesseds. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth, right? All these blesseds. And he realized that the spirit of Christ was so different than the spirit of Islam. And so he gave his life to Jesus. Now he returned to Egypt, and then when he returned to Egypt, he began to share his faith boldly with his family because he said, I want my family to know Jesus. And he had a wife, and he had two sons. As he began to share with his wife, it seemed as if she was very interested. And she began to ask him questions, you know, Rami, tell me again what you think about Jesus. Tell me what you think about Muhammad. Well, it was only too late when he realized that she was actually recording him on her cell phone. And so she took that cell phone and she went to Rami's family and she played it for uh, his mom and his dad and his brothers and his sisters. And so then, of course, they did what any good Muslim family would do. They confronted Rami. They set him down, all of them together, all of their, his mom and his dad, his brothers and his sisters, his wife and his two sons. And they said, Rami, listen to us. We are going to give you a chance, okay? You must return to Islam. You must renounce Christianity and you must come back to Islam. You must come back to all of the things that you grew up knowing and believing and renounce this blasphemous idea that you think Jesus is the Son of God. How could you believe that? Now, I want to stop just for a second because I want each and every one of you to put yourself in Rami's shoes for a minute. What if your parents set you down and they said, Listen, we're not going to be Christians anymore. And if you want to be our son still or our daughter still, neither can you. Renounce Jesus, burn your Bible, stop going to church. Or what if you're married? What if your wife or your husband came to you and they said, listen to us. You're going to stop going to church. You're going to stop taking our kids there. And if you don't, I'm going to divorce you. And you'll never see your kids again because I'm going to take them. This is the decision that Rami was facing. I'm sure it wasn't easy for him, but at some point in the past, he had met Jesus, and he had decided to follow him no matter what. And so Rami sat across his family, and what he told them was, I cannot return to Islam. I cannot return to Islam. I must follow Jesus. Now listen, his family kicked him out. They said, never come back. You're, you're dead to us. Rami could have done a dozen things in the eyes of Islam that would have brought shame and dishonor on his family. But in the end, they could have received him back. He could have come back into their family. But he did the one thing, the only thing that they knew of that brought such shame and such dishonor on them that they had to cut him off. It was as if he hated them. You see, Rami really didn't hate his mom and his dad. He didn't hate his brothers and his sisters or wife. And I know he didn't hate his two little boys. But he loved Jesus so much that his priority was to follow Christ no matter the cost. If we want to finish this great race, if we want to go to those places that are hostile and difficult, then we have got to be radically obedient to Jesus. We have got to put him in such a high place in our lives that nothing else gets in the way or touches it. Can we be that devoted like my friend Rami was? When you are, the Lord begins to move. We're seeing hundreds and hundreds of people receive Bibles for the first time all across the Middle East, like never before in history because of our teams that are going there. Thousands of people who are hearing the name of Jesus for the first time. Can you imagine that? We're seeing more Syrians because of what's going on in Syria that have come to Christ in the past five or ten years than the rest of history combined. Can you imagine that? We would never pray or ask that what has happened in their country happen, but it has, and the Lord is using it to show them the real and true face of Islam. And they say, I don't want any part of it. Give me Jesus. We're seeing a lot of dreams and visions happen. Listen to me, eight out of 10, nine out of 10 Muslims uh, who come to faith have a dream or a vision along that journey. In fact, one of our team members, Robbie, uh, he he had been sharing his faith with a doorman. Now, doormen are very uh, common in Cairo because all of the buildings are super high. Uh, We live on the 13th floor of a high rise. And so all of these buildings have doormen. Now, these guys are usually illiterate, and uneducated, and we want to give them a Bible, but they can't, they can't read. So, what we've done is we've loaded the gospel on MP3 players and we give them out to those people who can't read. And so, uh, Robbie gave one of these MP3 players to this doorman. And uh, every now and then, Robbie would walk by him and he would realize that, oh man, he's listening to the MP3 player, that's great. And every now and then, Robbie would stop and share his faith with this guy. One time, Robbie was sharing his faith with this man. And uh, as they're doing it, the doorman stops Robbie and he says, Robbie, hey, hey, wait a minute. Have you ever had a dream or a vision of Jesus? And Robbie stopped. He said, well, you know, I I haven't really ever had a spiritual dream. Uh, But then Robbie goes, wait a minute. Have you ever had a dream or a vision? And the doorman looked back at him and he smiled this huge Egyptian smile. They have beautiful, big smiles. And he said, yes, Jesus came to me just the other night and he told me everything on that MP3 player is true and to keep listening to it. And then the next thing that Jesus said to this doorman, we laugh because the next thing that Jesus, all right, Jesus, the son of God said to this doorman was do whatever Robbie tells you to do. And we said, listen, Robbie, Jesus wrote you a blank check in this guy's life. You can tell him to do whatever, you know, you want him to, but Of course, he began to tell them how to be a believer in Jesus Christ. We're seeing Muslims have dreams and visions. And because in Islam, the only way they believe that God can really speak to them personally is through a dream or a vision. And you better believe Jesus will use that. And he has been. We have house churches that are full of Muslims who've come to faith, who are being discipled and learning to walk with Jesus. You see, the gospel is going forward despite the hardness Despite all the difficulties, we're seeing people come to faith. One of my favorite stories is about a man named Ibrahim. He came to Jesus uh, through our team, and then he decided he wanted to be, he wanted to be baptized. Uh, so after he decided that, we went to the Red Sea. The Red Sea is only about an hour from Cairo. It's beautiful. This is the place where Moses parted the waters. And as we're there to baptize Ibrahim, of course, we gather around him and lead him through a profession of faith. So, the house church leader is leading him through a profession of faith, and you might have seen this at a baptism. You know, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, do you believe that uh, He paid for your sins? And so, yes, you know, I believe He paid for our sins. The last thing that we led him through, a profession of faith, was this Will you follow Jesus even unto death? Will you follow Jesus? Even unto death. Now, I don't know if you've been to a baptism in the U.S. Usually that's not included in there. But there we say it because when a Muslim comes to Christ, either literally or figuratively, they lose their life. And so we stood on the shore of the Red Sea. Ibrahim shouted that louder than anything. He said, I will follow Jesus even unto death. That is what's gonna, what it's going to take for us to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Last thing I'll leave you with is this. A friend of mine was watching the Olympics, and he was watching a race, a relay race. It was a 1600, four, la- four laps around the track. Uh, and at, each, at the end of each lap, they would hand off the baton to the next runner. It got to the very last lap, and uh, it looked like there were two or three teams that were in position to win. One of them was going to win. And everybody else was lagging far behind. And so one of the teams that was lagging far behind handed the baton off to this young lady. And then she took off. And she took off at such a pace that they thought, no way can she keep this pace up. But she kept it up. And she began to catch up. And about the hundred yards left to go, she caught up to those two or three teams. And then slowly, slowly began to inch ahead. In the last 20 yards, she kicked it into gear. And she crossed the finish line and won the race for her team. And immediately what she did was she collapsed. She threw herself across the finish line, collapsed on the ground, laying with her back on the ground, gasping for air because she had exhausted herself to win the race. Listen to me, church. If we want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, that is the kind of effort that it's going to take. We're going to have to throw ourselves into it like never before. We're going to have to challenge ourselves in our giving and in our praying, and in our passions, and in our going. I don't want you to ask yourself today if you're giving enough or doing enough for the Lord. I want you to examine yourself and say, am I doing my all? And I don't want you, like many missionaries will get up here to say, bless me as we go to the nations. I want you to come with us. Will you come with us in your passions and in your giving? Not just sending missionaries out into the work, but actually going with them. Will your hearts go with us? Will your minds go with us? Will your passions, your giving, and your energy? Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we love you so much. Ignite in us something incredible, Father, this week that really can see the baton crossing the finish line, Father. We pray that Lord Jesus do something incredible, do something beyond all that we ask or think or imagine, because you are able. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.
0: Would you give Josh a hand? Will you, everybody? <laughs> what an amazing thing that God has called this wonderful, wonderful family to do—a very effective ministry, and God had used in them in a dangerous part of the world. Uh, there are some prayer cards that uh, Josh and Kimberly have out of the missions table. Uh, When you leave, stop by that table. Please, please, please take one of their prayer cards, put it in your Bible, so that when you're reading the scriptures, you're having your devotions, you can pray for them that God would use them and that God would watch over them and God would protect them. I'm gonna ask you today to give a special missions offering, and this is so hugely important there's so many missionaries that we want to support. Your offering today is going to help the missionaries that's a part of our conference, our World Missions Conference this year, projects that we're engaged in. And if you would help us, we would appreciate it in a huge, huge way. You know, we have been, all of us, extraordinarily blessed by God in so many different ways. You think about that. You, you, th- you think about how good God has been to us. And I've always felt this way that if God doesn't uh, call us to physically go, then I have no doubt about this. I I don't even have to think through it. God has called all of us, if we don't go, to make sure that we pray and that we give. And you heard Josh addressing that. I'm going to ask one of the guys to just turn on the light for just a moment. This won't take us long, but it's very, very important. I I want all of you to stay right here with us. If you would reach into that bulletin that you received when you came in today, And if you would take out the envelope, it says, My Mission Faith Promise. If you would take that out for just a moment, and let's look at that for just a second. Again, I want to ask you to give a special missions offering today and and to bless our missionaries and help with what uh, we're doing during this conference to help all of our missionaries, if you would do that. Now, you see that portion on your card. It says this, 2016 World Missions Conference it says a one-time donation. At the top, my mission faith promises God enables me. I will help to take the message of Jesus into all the world by giving through the missions program of my church, Victory Church, and then a one-time donation. And then if you're doing that today, and I hope that many, many of you will, I hope that there'll be scores of you that will make a sacrificial, a very generous gift, that you would make it one of the best offerings that you have ever given before. And you'll just check that one box, put your information, and then just slip it into the envelope along with your check or your cash, And uh, if you're writing a check, you can make it payable to Vitry Church. Every part of this goes toward our missions conference. Now, here's what I'll also ask you to do. Now, some of you may need to or want to do this today. If you know for a fact that you're going to be out of town, there's nothing you could do about it. It's not that you want to be gone. You just know that you will. You may want to go ahead and make your mission faith promise today, your 2007 mission faith promise. Now, that would start in January. It wouldn't start this year. It would start in January of next year and would go through December. Now, a mission faith promise is simply this. A mission, let me tell you what it's not before I tell you what it is. A mission faith promise is not the tithe. The tithe belongs to the local church. Bring the tithe, the Bible says, into the storehouse. It's not like, all right, I have the tithe, but I'm not going to give it as tithe. I'm going to give it as missions. That's not what the Bible encourages us to do. So a mission faith promise is not the tithe, nor is it a pledge. Now, you can pledge to all kind of organizations, and even some churches are set up where pledges are made. And a lot of times, not all the time, but in a lot of times when pledges are made, it's basically this, I pledge to give this. And then if you don't give that, you're probably going to get some kind reminders that you're not giving that and you need to. And we're not going to do that. Nobody's going to call you. Nobody's going to say, well, where's your mission faith promise in 2017? That's not what a mission faith promise is. It is not a tithe. The tithe belongs to the Lord, the local church. It is not a pledge. A mission faith promise is simply a commitment between you and God. And this is what a mission faith promise says. As God blesses me, here's what I'm going to give. Now, listen, think about this real candidly for just a moment. How many of you, when you think about the food that you eat, that we eat, the clothes that we wear, the place that we live, the cars that we drive, how many of you would have to be in agreement with me that we are extraordinarily blessed? Do you believe that? We are blessed. You think about it. Now, why are we blessed in that way? Is it because God says, you know what? I'm going to bless you because I like you. I'm going to bless Americans because I'm favorable toward Americans. That's not why. God blesses us. Here, keep this in mind. God blesses us. It's important to know that. But what is also important to know, it's not all about us. Has God bless you and me the way that he has so that it can all be about us. And we would know. Any reasonable person would say, no. It's not all about me. Why do I deserve it as compared to other people? God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. And that's what we'll ask you to do. And if you're not going to be here next week, go ahead and make your mission faith promise today. If you know you're going to be here next week, then take some time this week. If you have a family, sit down with your family and talk about a mission faith promise. If you're a single person, get on your knees and say, God, show me what you want me to do. And of course, you know you'll th- you'll think about your budget, you'll look at your budget and you'll say, "This is what I think I can do, and that's all right that's that would be an ordinary thing to do, but a f- faith promise is that a faith promise says, "You know what? this is what I think I can do, but then when you when you get ready to write down what you think you can do, then add faith to that equation and say, "This is what I think I can do, but if God will enable me, if God will supply, then I've got faith to believe that he will." then I'll give that. Now, let me just state it plainly. If God doesn't give it to you, guess what? You're off the hook. You don't have to give it because God didn't give it to you. But if you do step out in faith and God provides you, then in 2017, you'll say, man, I'm going to do that. I've been so blessed by God. You open up that prayer journal, and you start looking through there, and you start looking at 171 different missionaries. I don't know how you feel about that, but it makes me very proud to have an identity with Victory Church, a church that is supporting 171 missionaries. And there's more that we could do, believe it or not. 38 different missions organizations, special, specialized ministry. You can look down the list, Anchor House Ministries, Woman's Choice, FCA, uh, Lighthouse Ministries, Parker Street, Porch Light, Salvation Army, Talbot House, Teen Challenge, VISTY, Calcutta Mercy Ministries, Life of the Lost, Take Heart, Africa, Wings of Eagles, and on and on. And we've got so many other organizations that are asking us. And so we've got missionaries, 171, but we've got others that are saying, hey, wow, could you pick us up? Could you help us? And we want to help them. And we're able to help them as God moves upon you and God moves upon our church. So give your missions offering today. We'll have you another card. You may have one in an envelope that you received at home. But we'll make sure you've got another one this next week. So we're going to pray. And you've got your card. And if you're not going to be here, go ahead and make your mission faith promise today. But if you'd make a missions gift, that'd be a wonderful thing help a lot of people. Now, we're going to pray, and then after we pray, we'll complete the card, and uh, the ushers should give you a moment to complete your card. If you need a pen, then just raise your hand and keep it up, and they'll make sure that you've got a pen, and then we'll collect the cards. Don't leave. We're not quite done yet. We're almost. The band's going to sing just for a couple of minutes while they collect our cards, and then I'll come back, and I'll dismiss us. So, Father, today, we just thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for the opportunity, God, to reach around this world to support some of the most amazing missionaries that are doing just like Josh and Kimberly and their family have done, to leave what is comfortable and to go to take your gospel to the ends of the earth, many times to very, very dangerous places. Pray that you'll help us to fill this in our prayers, in our giving, in our passion. And I pray that you would just move upon us in such a way that we would make a generous, generous gift. To here today, speak to us this week about our mission's faith promise. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said, "Amen, thank you for your giving Hold steady. For the sake of the
2: world burn like a fire in me Light a flame in my soul for every eye to see for the sake of the world. Burn like a fire in me. Come on, sing it out for the sake. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul for every eye to see. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me come on sing it out
0: You stand with me. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? Can we do that? Hey, and would you also say thank you to our special guest? There's wonderful missionary Josh. Would you let him know how much you appreciate his message and ministry here today? And thank you, thank you so much for giving in this mission's offering. It's the most important thing that you and I could do, and it's money not wasted. I can promise you that. So Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for a church that cares about the world. Let's do our part to make a difference. Thank you for everyone here. Continue to use us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, I love you. See you right back here next week.
2: For the sake of